The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker and you are listening to episode 101 of the podcast. Today is Sunday, July the 15th. I am joined back in New Jersey, fresh off of his Florida vacation during International Fight Week. Crazy week of MMA last week that we got to spend together. Jeff, the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how's life? Back on the uh, the northern eastern coast, there in New Jersey, my friend. But I am back in the gym training jujitsu more consistently. Uh, I was catching up with a buddy this past weekend, and Bill. Overall, I'm just trying to enjoy my summer because Lord knows that once the school year starts, uh, there's a lot less free time. Yeah, I can relate. I remember those days. All right, good. Glad to hear you're getting back in the gym. So, Jeff, I'm having, I don't know about you, I'm having a little bit of a an MMA hangover from last week. I mean, we had Professional Fighters League. We had the Ultimate Fighter finale. We had UFC pay-per-view. It was crazy. Uh, so this weekend, we had UFC Fight Night 133 from Boise, Idaho. I did not watch this event live. Uh, I watched it today. I actually just finished it a little while ago. I had to record it. I had to give myself a Saturday night off um, just to kind of hit reset on the old MMA button. Uh, I think I'm on a little bit of overload, but uh, I I thought this was a solid card. I think there were some interesting ups and downs on it. You know, there were definitely some some sleepy moments on this card and there were definitely some questionable decisions, I think, but we'll get into that. Uh, let's kick off with the main event, which was not very eventful, so to speak. And, uh, that's the gypsy junior dos Santos for anybody wondering what Cigano means in Portuguese. It means a gypsy. I don't know if that means cause he likes to steal. Maybe he steals knockouts. He steals people's souls. I don't know. Whatever the reason, Junior Dos Santos uh, coming off a one-year layoff to welcome uh, Legoi Ivanov to the UFC. Uh, and this was a very one-sided fight, Jeff. Uh, so Ivanov coming in with uh, a lot of hype behind him. He was the World Series of Fighting heavyweight champion, now known as the Professional Fighters League, which you and I are both very high on. And he was 16-1 and coming into this fight against uh, Junior Dos Santos. Uh, and I, I don't know, it, it seemed kind of weird that they would put him in as a main event. Um, but Dos Santos seemed to have no problem giving him that opportunity. He had that opportunity years ago against Fabricio Verdum in, in which nobody gave him a chance and he came in and knocked Verdum out. Uh, unfortunately, even uh, was not as lucky in his UFC debut, uh, and just got outboxed. Uh, by a, a more experienced fighter here. I, I I don't know what else to say about it. Um, 
you know, Dos Santos couldn't land that overhand right that usually puts people away. Uh, but evading that was pretty much all Ivanov was able to do. Uh, a couple of counter strikes here and there, but it was basically five rounds of Dos Santos uh, walking Ivanov down. Do uh, you have anything um, maybe I missed with this main event, Jeff, because that that's pretty much all I got out of it. Yeah, um, you know, for lack of a better term, I wasn't too uh, excited during this. I was in and out of sleep because uh, uh, when it was live, this fight started at about 12.30, and I had driven back from my buddy's house. It was about an hour drive, uh, and I'd been out in the sun all day, so I was a little beat. Um, but the stuff I was awake for, Bill, it looked the same, man. It just looked like you said, Dos Santos walking down Ivanov and, you know, credit to the guy for not getting knocked out by Dos Santos. We know he's an elite striker. Um, you know, I, I think that it was just a little bit too much, uh, uh, too big a bite to chew for, uh, Ivanov. So I'd like to see him take on someone who's, uh, not ranked as high, maybe, um, What's this guy's name? Uh, the dude who got the um, Ezekiel choke from the bottom. Uh, I can't remember his name, Bill. Alexi Olenek. Him. Uh, maybe go up against him. Who uh, We'll see how striking does there. Or maybe Junior Albini. Uh, I just want to see Junior Albini in there because, you know, it looks like a giant child. <laughs> the big baby Albini. Yeah. Uh, those are interesting matchups. So Dos Santos calls out uh, Stipe. At the end of his fight, he wants the trilogy fight with him. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that's anything that's on the horizon immediately. I know Stipe wants to take some time off for the birth of his daughter, which you know I can definitely respect. Uh, so I don't think we'll see him back anytime soon. Uh, Dos Santos has been taking a year off in between fights consistently for his last two fights. So uh, who knows uh, if we'll see these guys again anytime soon? Uh, I don't think he really had a marquee performance that that warrants uh you know a big jump uh up in competition it was a main event that kind of fell flat uh and, and that's unfortunate for him because he as as you said he is a, an elite striker and an elite fighter and an elite heavyweight which uh, are few and far between these days but we got some young guys coming up now we got Tai Tuivasa uh you know who's who's coming up in the ranks and and, uh, you know, some some other interesting guys uh, making their way in the heavyweight division. So the co-main event, uh, Sage Northcutt uh, gets a, a KO victory over Zach Otto in the second round with some hammer fists. But uh, he definitely faced some adversity in this fight. And I really liked seeing this out of Sage Northcutt because, I mean, we have to remind ourselves, this kid is such a big star, but he's 22 years old. He is a child, uh, you know, not just in the sport of MMA, but in life in general. You're 22 years old. You don't know anything about life. You, you may think you do, and I, I, don't, I wouldn't even put Sage Northcutt in that category, but most 22-year-olds probably think, you know, they have the whole world figured out, but you don't know shit when you're 22 years old. That's just, that's just cold hard facts right there. So it, it's hard to keep in mind that he is so young and so inexperienced because he was built up so quickly and he has such a magnetic aura about him. I mean, the kid is like a comic book character, but in any case, we've seen him struggle, especially since moving up to 170 pounds. Uh, we've seen him struggle in the grappling department 
and he was dropped within the first 10 seconds of this fight. And Zach Otto put some amazing top pressure on him. He had some submission attempts, and we saw Sage Northcutt moving pretty well on the bottom. Uh, he had some really good submission defense. He was able to get up uh, before the round was over and land some strikes on Zach Otto, and then uh, came back in the second round. And I guess uh, you know Otto must have gassed himself out trying to put Northcutt away in the first round, and uh, you know Sage was able to pull out the TKO victory. What were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, dude, uh, it was awesome seeing Northcutt not freak out with someone on top of him. You know, he was patient. He was still working from the bottom, which I liked seeing. And I was impressed that he was able to get out from under Otto, who I believe is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, you know, Sage Northcutt, just, he looks good in there. Um, in the second round, he even went for his own takedown when he had Otto rocked. So it's nice to see his progression. And, dude, you're absolutely right. I forget sometimes that he's so young because he's been in the UFC about two years, two or three years already. Um, but I, I can't wait to see this kid grow up in the in the octagon, man. Uh, and like you said, at 22, oh, God, you, you don't have anything figured out. You don't even know what you don't know. And Sage Northcutt, um, you know, to put it in those terms. But um, Northcutt, obviously, his striking is great. I'd like to see him uh, keep working on on his ground game um, because he was he was looking really good in there. Um, he didn't freak out, which I was really happy with, even after that really hard shot in the beginning. So good for him. Kudos to Sage Northcutt, uh, who's making his return to 170, and he looks great in there. Yeah, yeah. Good, good performance from him. It, it was definitely good to see him, you know, overcome some challenges in that first round there. And I think his career is going to do a lot better now that he's over at Team Alpha Male with Uriah Faber, who is one of the best minds in the sport from a business perspective and from a managerial perspective. Uh, I think he's really going to line things up for Sage Northcutt, and I think he's really going to make a lot of good decisions for him and get him some favorable matchups uh, so that he can showcase his talents. I mean, we are talking about a very rare talent here, a young kid uh, with, you know, phenomenal striking background. And, uh, you know, hopefully he'll get a chance to, to grow and develop uh, before his star kind of fades, uh, you know, since he was brought up. So with so much, so fast, uh, I'll continue down the card here. What I think was a very controversial decision, Rick Glenn getting the split decision victory over Dennis Bermudez. Uh, the story of this fight seemed to be Dennis Bermudez and his double leg takedown. Uh, his wrestling was fairly dominant. However, Rick Glenn, when the fight was on the feed, he was landing. You know, he had a lot of body kicks that that did damage to Bermudez, but I don't. It didn't do enough damage to slow down the takedown attempts. Uh, Bermudez has. Uh, a very unique double leg where he kind of snaps into place. He changes levels and then he grabs onto the exact same spot time after time, one leg around the back of the thigh and one leg and, uh, sorry, excuse me, one hand around the back of the thigh of his opponent and the other hand right around the hip. And he just blasts through with that double leg and it's very successful for him. Uh, I thought Bermudez had clearly won this fight. Uh, two rounds to one, um, but the judges saw it differently. And it this wasn't the only fight where this happened with an unexpected decision, an unexpected split decision uh, in favor of a fighter who who seemed to lose 
the grappling side of the fight. So the Boise Idaho Athletic Commission clearly not favoring uh, wrestlers, uh, which is fine. You know, some people don't think that wrestling should count for as much, but you know, the problem we're seeing time and time again is the consistency, Jeff. You know, we have to see the same thing across the board. If wrestling doesn't count, fine. Then, you know, there needs to be a unified uh, agreement that wrestling isn't going to count for as much as, you know, body kicks. Um, so that that was my only kind of discrepancy here with this fight. What were your thoughts uh, when the decision was made, Jeff? Do you feel like Rick Glenn edged this one out or did you see it for Bermudez? Yeah, I got to disagree with you, Bill. I felt like on the feet, Rick Glenn was doing enough and making Dennis Bermudez really work to get inside of him, uh, especially in the first round and maybe half of the second round. Uh, it was really hard for Dennis Bermudez to find his way into Rick Glenn's guard. You know, just the... Um, the, the reach advantage, I think, was a little too much for him. So, you know, I can see where maybe Bermudez won, but I felt like Rick Lynn did just enough to edge it out. Um, I don't think that Bermudez was necessarily robbed in this one. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Um, yeah, it was hard for him to overcome that reach. Of course, Rick Lynn at six feet tall and 145 pounds uh, is a very unusual body type to deal with, uh, especially for, uh, you know, a short-limbed wrestler. Uh, whose entire game is based on getting on the inside. Uh, I did feel that once Bermudez did figure out how to get inside that reach, um, that he had an advantage in that fight. But yeah, I, I can see, I, I can see it going for for Rick Glenn. But um, th this wasn't the only fight that kind of went this way on the card. So we'll we'll kind of, I guess, agree to disagree on that one. Um, I, I, I mean, it's not going to make or break my day whether or not he got the decision. I don't think, I don't think it was a dominant performance for either fighter by any means. Uh, so what was a dominant performance, uh, <laughs> was, uh, Nico price against Randy Brown. Uh, this was an excellent fight, very back and forth. Randy Brown had a really slick back take at one point where he kind of flipped over Nico price. Uh, these guys were exchanging on the feet. They're both long, rangy welterweights. Uh, I thought they were very evenly matched uh, in this fight. And then Randy Brown was on top in the second round, and it looked like he was kind of move, maneuvering around, kind of swinging his legs around. And it seemed like Nico Price was going for a leg lock from the bottom. He got a knee shield, uh, which is basically where you put your shin and your knee in your opponent's chest, and then he locked his foot behind Randy Brown's neck. This is a very unusual position to find yourself in. And then he had one hand hooked under one of Randy Brown's legs. So he was basically using his foot to pull Randy Brown's head into hammer fists that knocked him unconscious from the bottom. This is a very unusual finish uh, from a very unusual guy in Nico Price. This guy finds ways to win in, in very unorthodox fashion, and it seems to be his MO. Um, this is a guy who has never seen the judges' scorecards, so there, there's no controversial decisions in his past because there's no decisions in his past. Uh, I don't know if I did this fight any justice in my description of it. I think if you have not seen this card, you need to go back and watch this fight to really understand 
what Nico Price accomplished in this second round here. What was your reaction to the way Nico Price finished this fight, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I was pretty impressed. Um, you know, I'm a fan of Randy Brown. He trains out of Henzo Gracie, NYC. Um, I've I've gone to see him a few times uh, when he's fought nearby. And, dude, um, super impressed with Nico Price. The position, like you said, it was really weird. It was wonky. Um, and if, if I could compare it to any position that I know, I would call it um, octopus guard. Uh, which I've seen, which is kind of people being perpendicular to each other, and someone has somebody else's legs locked up. It's a it's a weird position, but um, it kind of looked to me like Nico Price was going for a leg lock, and kind of stopped halfway and decided to hook Randy Brown's head with his left foot, and then. Dude, credit to Nico Price. He's got so much power in his hands, man. To be able to finish somebody like that from the bottom, it actually looked like he was in trouble because Randy Brown was landing a couple punches before that. And then you see his face and his eyes just go out and his head's just bouncing back and forth like gelatin. Um, good call from the ref to stop it. Um, it. It's just such a weird finish. Definitely go back and watch this one if you haven't already. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's hard to generate any kind of power uh, from the bottom with a hammer fist. Uh, it's just not something that most people are able to do. And I think it was really because he was uh, pinning Randy Brown's head with his foot and, and kind of pulling his head towards the punches that really did it. Uh, very unusual finish. Very impressive for Nico Price. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him next. What you don't do is put him in there with Sage Northcutt. I think that would probably be a mistake uh, if you want to continue to build that kid up. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of interesting matchups at welterweight. So uh, it, it'll be fun to see what's next for Nico Price. Um, so uh, one fighter who made a comeback after a two-year USADA suspension, which is really detrimental, especially in the prime of his career, 33 years old. So around that 30, 31, 32 uh, time frame, that's when you're reaching your physical prime. And Chad Mendez had to take some of that time off uh, due to a suspension for uh, banned substances. But uh, he didn't seem to miss a beat, knocking out Miles Jury uh, in the first round. This was a very uneventful first round until this finish kind of exploded out of nowhere what was your reaction to the finish of miles jury by chad mendez in this fight jeff yeah you hit the nail on the head when you said that it was uneventful up until then you know miles jury doing a good job of using his reach and height advantage he towered over chad mendez at the weigh-ins and you know chad mendez wasn't doing much it looked like he was kind of still getting the jitters off in the first two minutes of that round and then comes in with a right hand that looks like it's a shot, like he's coming in for a takedown, uh, changes his level, comes up with a left hook and drops Miles Jury like a bad habit, jumps on top of him, and Billy's doing this thing that I loved. He was using uh, like a wrestling ride to hold Miles Jury down uh, by keeping his left hand on Jury's uh, left hip and keeping him from getting away from him. And then his right hand was just dropping bombs onto Miles Jury. And I think the ref had a good stoppage. Miles Jury covering up, but, I, you know, for the ref, it wasn't enough. 
And, dude, great comeback for Chad Mendez. Uh, I really hope that he's back in there again soon. You know, he didn't take a lot of damage, and he's been out of the octagon for a while. Um, and apparently his suspension was over a uh, something that was in a cream that he was using for psoriasis. Uh, so, you know, it's unfortunate, but, you know, uh, I feel like USADA, uh, I feel like there needs to be some gray areas every now and then. Yeah, it's hard to say because, you know, there, there's what these guys say they're doing and then there's what they're really doing because, you know, there there are ways to beat the system with USADA, unfortunately. Uh, and I think guys have plans in place for when they do get caught. Uh, you know, if we get caught for this, we can say it was, this, you know, we were using this cream or, or we were taking this supplement and this supplement's always tainted and uh, everything like that. But Regardless of, of the USADA drama, excellent performance by Chad Mendez. So uh, a tactic that's used by a lot of wrestlers, and and Chad Mendez is one of the best wrestlers to ever get in the cage, you know, Pac-10 champion, NCAA, All-American. So a lot of times what they'll do is they'll change levels to get their opponent to react and flinch. It's almost like a feint using wrestling. Uh, a feint, of course, like when you fake throwing a punch. So they'll fake changing levels. And it can be very subtle, and Chad Mendes is really good at doing this, and this is how he lands his overhand right a lot. So you you fake changing levels, and it gets your opponent to flinch and bring their hands down because they want to defend the takedown. And then they will follow the, the fake uh, level change by bringing the overhand right over the top. So what Chad Mendes did because he's really great at landing that overhand right. That's one of his biggest weapons. He faked the overhand right and then came with the left hook. So it was a fake and a fake to a left hook. It was a really brilliant setup by Chad Mendez, and it put down Miles Jury, who's a really tough competitor. But, you know, if you don't see a punch coming from Chad Mendez, that's putting anybody down. This guy's a powerhouse, uh, and we didn't even get to see his wrestling on display, really. Uh, which, like I said, he's one of the best wrestlers to, to ever get in the cage. So definitely excited to see what's next for him. Uh, it should definitely be somebody in that top five. Uh, I think he's he's probably earned that. Um, I, I don't really know what you do with him. Maybe, hmm, uh, maybe the, the it's tough too because he's lost to a lot of guys in that top five. He's lost to Frankie Edgar. Uh, he's lost to Jose Aldo twice. Uh, so uh, I, I would kind of like to see Mendez and Jeremy Stevens get in there. Yeah. Uh, but Jeremy Stevens has Jose Aldo next month. So we got to find out what's happening with that. We don't know what's going on with the champion, Max Holloway. So uh, there's a lot of unanswered questions in this division. But I think Chad Mendez has definitely inserted himself uh, you know, back into contendership here. Uh, and that's really great to see from a competitor like him. Uh, so then we had uh, Kat Zingano and Marion Renault, And the story of this matchup was Kat Zingano's record-breaking uh, record takedowns. Uh, I believe she broke the record for women's uh, bantamweight division for the most takedowns uh, in a fight. So there was nothing uh, Renault could really do about that. Uh, and it, what's funny about it is in the first round, Marion Renault is pulling guard. <laughs> so, uh, and I, I guess it turned out to not be a good strategy because she spent a lot of this fight on her back. Um, I don't think she looked terrible, but she got out wrestled 
by Katzengano in this fight. What, what was your reaction to this one, Jeff? Yeah, dude, Katzengano's been through a pretty rough patch outside of the octagon. Uh, you know, the, the passing of her husband, unfortunately, uh, a couple of knee surgeries. So I was really happy to see her back in there uh, getting a win. And she looks great, man. Her wrestling uh, was top-notch. You know, that's what she's known for. It's uh, one of the reasons she was able to beat Amanda Nunez. And, um, you know, I want to see her take someone who's ranked a little bit higher than her some, and uh, really mix up this Bantamweight title picture in the women's division. Yeah, for sure. So uh, great performance by her. Uh, she, she has a victory over the standing champion Amanda Nunez, who may or may not have a fight on the table with uh, – Chris Cyborg, the 145-pound champion. So, uh, you know, a lot of loose ends in this division too, Jeff. Uh, so uh, who knows what's going to happen with this with this women's bantamweight uh, division. But, you know, much like Chad Mendez, Katzengano has, has reinserted herself in, in, into the top tier of this division for sure. So it'll be interesting to see what's next for her. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of breeze over the undercard here because there were some great matchups. I know you didn't catch a lot of it, Jeff. Uh, Alejandro Perez getting a, a decision over longtime UFC veteran and w, former WEC bantamweight champion Eddie Wineland. Uh, that was a, a pretty good fight. Very back and forth, uh, very striking heavy. So if you're a fan of the striking heavy fights, uh, get get back in there and check that one out. Heyani Barcelos uh, getting a knockout victory over uh, Kurt Hollibaugh, um, ultimate fighter veteran. Kurt Hollibaugh. This was a, a very back and forth fight, and um, Barcelos making his UFC debut against you know more of a veteran in Hollibaugh, and uh, Barcelos thought to be more of a ground fighter, and he was boxing with Kurt Hollibaugh, who you know is a very competent boxer. You know he's good on the ground as well, but uh, you know he got outboxed by the newcomer, the Brazilian here. So uh, that was a, a very impressive knockout there. Liz Caramouche. Um, getting a unanimous decision over Jennifer Maya. And I don't think there's anything else I want to touch on except Alexander Volkanovsky getting a unanimous decision victory over uh, Darren Elkins. So Darren Elkins has kind of made a name for himself for being the guy who can take a beating and come back and get the victory. Of course, his win over Mursad Bektik is the – Best example of this, where he was almost finished several times in that fight. This fight was looking the same way, except he never had the comeback. So Volkanovski getting the unanimous decision win. He almost finished Darren Elkins twice in the first round to the point where the referee Jason Herzog, at the end of the first round, had to tell Darren Elkins, if you can't walk back to your stool by yourself, the fight's over. Uh, because it looked like his cornermen were going to come in and kind of help him back over to his stool. He he made it there, but he probably shouldn't have. Um, listen, I respect the hell out of Darren Elkins, but you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be the guy that's known for uh, taking a beating and, and continuing to take beatings uh, time after time. That's not what being an elite fighter is. Uh, you know, of course, it helps to be able to have that in your back pocket if you need it. Um, but I, I don't want to see a guy get in there time after time and, and get his brain bashed in 
that's not that's not part of the sport to me. That's not part of mixed martial arts. Um, it, it shows that you're tough, but you know you got to be concerned for these guys and having a career after fighting. Um, so I, I would maybe like to see Darren Elkins take on uh, a, a lower ranked opponent next and, and, uh, you know, maybe get a one-sided win under his belt before he's back in there with ranked opponents. Uh, but uh, the other side of this was uh, Volkanovsky looking phenomenal in this fight. He called out Chad Mendez before Chad Mendez had his fight. He said, Hey, you know, if Chad Mendez wins, uh, you know, maybe that, that would be a good matchup for me. And he looks really good. Uh, you know, he almost put Darren Elkins away, which is something a lot of people can say, but, uh, you know, he really almost put him away. I, I thought it was an impressive performance by Volkanovsky. And he didn't get frustrated and crack the way a lot of people do when Darren Elkins can't be put away. Uh, he he stuck in there. He stayed in his face. He blooded him up. And, uh, you know, he, he pushed the pace for 15 minutes. Uh, any thoughts on any of the fights? I just kind of breezed over there, Jeff. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to catch uh, any of the undercard, but I did want to check out uh, the Volkanovsky Elkins fight, uh, along with Barcelos and Holobaugh. And I, you know, it's it's tough, man, because I think people are uh, used to the culture that's been built by the Rocky movies where, you know, a guy can take a beating and then have the heart to win it in the end. But, you know, this isn't a movie, and, you know, you got to be concerned for Darren Elkins, man. Uh, they call him the damage, but that's that's not what you want to be known for. And, you know, MMA, and we've talked about this before, MMA isn't an old enough sport where we know the aftermath of all these fights and all this damage. So, you know, you got to be a little concerned for them. Uh, like I said, I'd, I'd love to see like a study done for what happens to fighters, you know, in their uh, later years after after competing in MMA. Uh, maybe like Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture, those guys and see where they're at in maybe 10, 15 years. Because uh, like I said, Bill, we don't know. And and this is uh, it's a little bit concerning how the beatings that Elkins is willing to take. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the toughest guys walking the planet, but, uh, you know, you got to be concerned for the guy's safety. Uh, the only other fight I, I want to cover on this card, uh, so another cousin of Khabib, remember Gamedov, uh, he made his UFC debut, I believe, against Justin Scoggins, and this is Saeed Nurmagomedov. Uh, you know, he's a, a lanky uh, a very lanky fighter, very different style fighter than Khabib. He's more of a striker, a lot of spinning attacks, uh, and he's a flyweight, small guy, uh, five foot eight, hundred twenty-five pounds. He got a split decision over Justin Scoggins. Uh, I don't think even Saeed thought he won this fight. Uh, this is another one of those decisions where I don't think really went the right way. Uh, you know, Saeed had his head down and. And Scoggins was was doing cartwheels right before the decision was made, uh, you know, figuratively speaking, of course. Um, and Nurmagomedov getting the split decision victory. Um, I, I thought it was a, an interesting fight. There was a lot of spinning attacks from both guys that didn't land, which I kind of frustrates me as a fan because 
you know, a lot of guys are throwing these spinning attacks just kind of like, I don't know, hoping to land one instead of actually setting them up and, and working them into a series of strikes. Uh, they're just kind of throwing them out there like, hey, look, I can spin around. And I, I feel like this is a trend that's just getting a little obnoxious. Um, <laughs> in any case, I did think Justin Scoggins did enough to win this fight. Um, I thought Saeed looked good for a UFC newcomer, uh, but yeah, it, it's tough because this is a division with no contenders, and uh, Justin Scoggins is a guy who has a name. He's come close to that title shot before, and and he's blown it, uh, you know, with weight issues and and other kinds of you know drama. We don't even need to get into. Uh, and, you know, he takes a close loss to a guy who's, uh, you know, not really a marketable fighter in a division that is not really marketable. But, uh, you know, he's got the name. He's got the Dagestani Abe Lincoln beard that they all have. And, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe they could find some <laughs> momentum off of this win for uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov. In any case... We got another fight card coming up next weekend, and uh, UFC is going back to Hamburg, Germany for Fight Night 134, and it's headlined by MMA legend Mauricio Shogun Hua and Anthony Smith, who's moving up to light heavyweight. This is a scary fight for Shogun, who uh, I would think was like 75 years old, by this point, but he's another one of those guys. He's only 36. He's just been fighting for nine decades and <laughs> somehow is only 36 years old. Uh, but, you know, this guy's been in wars all over the globe. And Anthony Smith is a big, powerful guy. And I know he's moving up a weight class, but this guy's bringing a lot of power with him. Uh, he, we saw what happened when Daniel Cormier moved up a weight class and, and how how much more comfortable he was with carrying that extra weight and how much more power he had in his hands. Uh, I would expect we're going to see something similar from Anthony Smith. Uh, what are your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? How do you see it going down here? Well, I'm concerned for Shogun Hua, man. Remember that da brain damage stuff we were talking about? Mm -hmm. Well, Hua is one of the guys I'd like to see studied because he's been in some absolute wars with Dan Henderson, uh, I believe Leoto Machida, uh, John Jones. Those guys are all really heavy hitters. Um, I don't know how much more Hua's chin can take. And Smith is, you know, Smith is no joke. He's a powerhouse in there, moving up a weight class. And, you know, that's that extra weight is going to be very helpful when he goes to uh, land big strikes. And um, not to take anything away from Hua, he's a warrior in there, former light heavyweight champion. But he's up there in years, man. I, I really don't know how this is going to go down, Bill. Yeah, so Hua has a – he is on a three-fight win streak. Um, and, you know, he has been known to play spoiler in the past for these guys who are supposed to come in and just blast them. He's – He's very experienced. He's a guy you can never count out. Um, but Anthony Smith with a lot of momentum coming off that 50-second knockout of Rashad Evans uh, just last month. Uh, and, you know, he's not making a big weight cut. He didn't have, you know, a huge effort in his fight last month. So uh, definitely coming in with a lot of momentum. And Shogun hasn't been 
uh, very active as of late. Uh, so that's your headliner. Uh, it should be a fun fight. I mean, these are two guys who both like to stand and strike. They're both very capable strikers. So, uh, I think very small chance of a boring fight in, in this main event. It, it's either going to be really quick or it's going to be really technical striking battle. The co-main event, <clears throat> last minute replacements here. So Glover Teixeira taking on Corey Anderson. I forget who Corey Anderson is stepping in for, but, uh, this is a pretty interesting, oh, it's Alir Latifi. Uh, so Alir Latifi, uh, pulling out with an injury, uh, that I can't recall what it was, but Corey Anderson stepping in against Glover Teixeira. So Teixeira, uh, is one of these guys, very underrated jujitsu game, uh, very strong boxing game and, uh, Corey Anderson, very strong wrestler. So the question will be, will he want to take Glover Teixeira to the ground? Does he know how dangerous Glover Teixeira is there? Uh, and you know, if he doesn't want to take him to the ground, will he be able to withstand the boxing attack to share So this is a very interesting, uh, matchup here because Corey Anderson is going to be able to decide where this fight takes place and Clover to may be stronger in both areas. Uh, so, uh, these kind of matchups really interest me. Uh, what are your thoughts on this co-main event, Jeff? Yeah, but I'm really excited for this one. Uh, I haven't seen either of these guys in quite a while, so uh, both really good fighters. I've been a fan of Teixeira for a long time. Uh, I think he's super well-rounded. Like you said, good standing, good jujitsu. Uh, and Corey Anderson is no joke. I think his uh, his cardio is going to be a big factor. You know, we know that he can keep the pace for three rounds. Uh, we've seen him in main events be able to keep uh, pace for a while. So it's going to be really fun. But, Bill, um, an, another fight that stands out to me, I don't know how you feel about this one. Uh, but actually, looking up and down at this card, it looks really interesting. Uh, I really like uh, Marcin Tabura versus Stefan Struve. I think somebody's going to sleep in that fight. What do you think, Bill? Yeah, this is an awesome heavyweight matchup. So Tabura in his last fight really showed uh, you know, how durable he is going the distance with Fabrizio Verdum in a five-round main event. And Stefan Struve is one of these guys who's hot and cold. You know, if he shows up uh, like the Stefan Struve who knocked out Stipe Miocic, uh, then we got a fun fight on our hands. Uh, if he shows up like the Stefan Struve who's kind of, you know, crumpled under pressure in the past or, you know, not had a good training camp or anything like that. Um, but assuming we have, uh, you know, these guys in their peak uh, physical condition, this is an excellent heavyweight matchup and the rest of this card is just a fucking spelling bee nightmare jeff i'm looking up and down this card if somebody asked me to spell every fighter's name on here i don't know if i can get two of them right uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, another fight that I, i'm very interested in uh besides that heavyweight battle is uh martha casey and nasrat hakparast i hope i got that right i think I think I'm somewhere in the vicinity of correct. Uh, but this should definitely be uh, an exciting fight. So DeCasey, um, you know, didn't have the greatest showing in his last two fights, but th this guy is a is a very explosive and dynamic fighter. He's got a lot of impressive knockout victories under his belt. So don't be fooled by the two losses on his record. Who are who came to uh, you know was a close decision victory, uh, close decision loss to Drakkar Close, who's a very uh, high level competitor. And then you know he got submitted by Dan Hooker in his last fight. And Dan Hooker 
is probably one of the most underrated fighters on the entire roster, in my opinion. Uh, this guy um, is still fighting on undercards, and he's fucking smashing everybody. Uh, so I, I think this is going to be a, a really good fight. Uh, and that's the one that jumps uh, on the page, uh, off the page the most to me, uh, is this uh, lightweight matchup. Anything else uh, kind of sticking out to you, Jeff? Yeah, um, in addition to Casey, we know he's a really explosive striker. Um, he can put people away pretty easily. I'm also liking Danny Roberts versus Alan Joban on here. Uh, you know, Alan Joban, former model, but he can fight, man. He's a really good striker. We've seen him put people away. Um, so I'm excited, man. This whole card, top to bottom, this is not looking like a bad card. Uh Meek is in here as well versus Fabinski, which I really like. Uh, you know, Meal Meek, pretty tough dude. So, Bill, up and down this card, it's, it's looking like this is one of those cards where you may not know too many people on here, but I feel like it's going to be a really good showing from a lot of these guys. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, we got we got some undefeated guys in here. We got guys with, you know, the, the longer guys' names are and the fewer – vowels in them i feel like is a pretty good indicator of how tough they are uh, <laughs> if i see if i see like a, a last name that has 15 letters and there's two vowels in it i'm like that's a tough motherfucker right there uh, <laughs> i think that's a pretty safe assumption but yeah i, I don't want to get into the rest of this card mostly because i can't pronounce a lot of the names uh but i think this will be a good one now i'm not sure on the timing of this fight because it is taking place in Germany. Uh, you know, they've been doing, you know, morning cards here. So it's prime time there, but sometimes they'll start them in the morning over there. So it's prime time here. I don't know when this one starts, uh, you know, check with your local cable provider, but this one, uh, should be on FS one or fight pass or something like that. And, uh, we got some, some other fun things on the horizon, but but you know, plenty of time to uh, plenty of time to talk about them. Uh, in, in the meantime, there was a Bellator card I think this weekend, but I didn't see it. You didn't see it. In fact, I didn't even know it happened. So, uh, any thoughts on that one, Jeff? No. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll be moving on. So. We got a professional fighters league coming up uh, July nineteenth as well. So um, I don't know. Should we take a look at this card? Let me pull it up here. See if anything's jumping off the page here. Uh, not a whole lot, but I'm gonna watch it because uh, I'm into I'm into the professional fighters league, and uh, this one's gonna be. Up in up in your neck of the woods, kind of Jeff in Uniondale, New York. I believe that's uh, Long Island. So, you know, maybe you can get some tickets to this one and then report back for the podcast. All right, any other news or anything you want to get off your chest here, Jeff? Uh, no, that's all I got for you this week, Bill. So, unless you got anything to add, uh, kind of a quieter week this week in MMA. Uh, I think next week will pick up a little bit with that awesome fight card. Yeah, and I'm very surprised you didn't want to add that. Uh, the, the World Cup is over. So France is the the football champion of the entire world. Uh, so as our as our resident soccer analyst, Jeff, do you want to give your, your reaction to, to France uh, 
taking it over Croatia this this weekend? Uh, yeah, just real quick. Um, super impressed with France's uh, offense. Uh, you know, uh, I forget his first name, but Mbappe, uh, super talented young guy. He's only nineteen. He wasn't even alive, Bill, when France won their last World Cup, which was twenty years ago. Um, so super impressed with him and. You know, the French team as a whole, Anton Griezmann put in a lot of work. Olivier Giroud, I think, should not have made the squad, but uh, that's just my humble opinion. Um, but, you know, everybody put in a pretty good effort. Uh, they won 4-2. I think it could have been 4-1, but their goalkeeper made a mistake. And what's interesting, Bill, is after the World Cup is over, is seeing what teams pick up which players because everybody on the French roster, their stock just shot up because they're World Cup champions. So, uh, uh, you know, we'll, I'll keep people posted on Twitter. Like I, like we say, this is MMA on the Rocks, not FIFA on the Rocks. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a couple of weeks ago. You, you actually got me to watch more World Cup games than I think I ever had, and that was two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, I did find it interesting watching them with you jeff you know we went out we had some beers and we watched uh we watched the brazil game and um you know we watched croatia win in the semifinals um so i had a good time I, you explained it so that i was able to follow along i don't think i'll be looking to see what, what players are getting drafted because i don't know any of the players but i i did enjoy uh you know talking a little bit of the world cup this year but uh if you enjoy talking about the world cup you can do so with jeff the animal wilson at animal underscore wilson on twitter and of course if you guys want to talk mma or booze with me we didn't do a whole lot of booze talk this week but i'm always down for that as you guys know at mma on the rocks on all your favorite social media platforms and that's all we got for this week so until next time cheers everybody goodbye <laughs>